This is a talk on poor disease and locked rooms, and it looks at the way epidemic experiences in the cities Edgar Allan Poe lived and worked in influenced his use of enclosed spaces and gave them a layered complexity. The tales of Poe provide an experience of disease that is quite overwhelming. In a large number of them, there are references to specific ailments as well as vague unnamed illnesses whose effects are apparent in pale and gaunt or flushed and feverish looks. Disease effects like fear, apprehension, dissolution, and death are equally apparent. The frequency of these occurrences suggests that there is something more going on than the simple act of representing a time or giving rein to an individual fascination. The predominance of enclosed spaces across the work shows that disease itself, while referred to, became a creative source for setting and occasion, providing conditions of order and control against dissolution and disintegration of human bodies, minds, and interestingly, of recalcitrant narrative elements. The particular version of quarantine as a castle or stronghold that kept disease out and an elite group safe may have been a critique of the literary marketplace where Poe struggled to succeed and where others, perhaps less talented, but in his view more fortunate, did much better. So Poe's tales are not just about disease or about disease, how disease or aberrations were managed, but are also examples of the strategies of literary organization that such experiences opened up to his thinking. In 1846, Poe published A Philosophy of Composition, an essay that detailed a method that would create an effect of unity and control the reader's experience. The terms of his essay are revealing. He wrote of totality of effect or impression, the limit of a single sitting for reading, writing backwards, that is from the end, and most significantly claimed that close circumscription of space is absolutely necessary to the effect of insulated incident. By 1846, he had already written most of his better known tales, almost all set in various types of circumscribed spaces, and this was a retrospective reflection on his own work an aesthetic of enclosure that said as much about his literary concerns as about the atmosphere in which he was writing. In accounting for Poe's interest in these ideas about control and power and their manifestation in the tales, it is useful to examine a. the period when several epidemics and diseases like epilepsy, consumption and insanity affected people, b. his personal encounters with disease, and c. the depiction of aspects drawn from this atmosphere in his work. The quarantine and its associations with containment, isolation, and lockdown is not just part of our discourse today, but was also through the control of disease during the 18th and 19th centuries. The Mask of the Red Death seems to be the obvious choice to discuss these issues, but references to the quarantine in King Pest, an earlier and perhaps not too well-known tale, effects of isolation and social distancing in the Sphinx, as well as the evolution of the closed room mystery in two of the great detective tales, The Murders in the Room Morgue and The Purloined Letter, suggest a wider impression of the material effects of disease control on Poe's literary imagination. Epidemic diseases raged through the cities Poe lived and worked in. Philadelphia was visited by the yellow fever epidemic in 1793. There were cholera outbreaks in the 1830s in several cities, the second pandemic reaching in 1834 and spreading from the port cities to the interior. And there were recurrent episodes of diphtheria and smallpox. 
And while mental illnesses, tuberculosis, and different kinds of fits have been most visible in Poe's work, the prevailing discourse of epidemic diseases and their management as it made its way into his work is worth considering. Three elements are discernible in the public perception of disease in the 18th and 19th centuries. These were miasmic theory, that disease originated from an invisible poisonous vapor rising from organic matter in an advanced state of putrefaction, contagion theory, that specific contagia were the exclusive causes of infections and epidemics, and the instrument to deal with disease, quarantine. Miasmic theory described the conditions in which disease emerged, while contagion theory explained disease as stemming from proximity to the diseased person or a source with the disease bred. The crowding of 19th century cities, especially because of the foreign influx in these years, resulted in association of the closeness of urban living, stagnant pools of water as a result of poor drainage, and inadequately cobbled or paved streets, open sewage flows, in other words, the environment for disease, with the immigrant or outsider. The step that was therefore taken to address disease brought in by the immigrant was quarantine, a method of isolating the suspected carrier of disease either at the point of entry into America or in those areas of the cities that were seen to be pockets of disease. Ellis Island off the coast of New York and Lazaretto Quarantine Station and Hospital of Philadelphia are visual images that would have dominated the narrative of spatial control. Of the diseases, cholera and yellow fever were the most feared, especially because of their symptoms and the image of a dissolving human body. The yellow fever symptoms were bleeding in the eyes and mouth and vomiting blood, while the cholera manifested in pallid, drawn skin, a gray and ghost-like appearance, and rapid and often fatal evacuation of bodily fluids. Poe understood and used this medical discourse to critique the inequalities that characterized his own circumstances as he tried to make a living through writing. But I believe there is a larger critique of inequality at work that this discourse and its practical manifestation helped to frame, and that appears in the enclosed spaces, not always depicted as places of refuge, but as rooms and houses where misery and illness prevailed. His diagnosis of human behavior under such conditions appears not merely as criticism of conditions of isolation, but as are also the very basis of his narrative world. There were close personal experiences of the disease too. The Poe log, a comprehensive source of information about Poe's life and works, tells us that on August 12, 1831, Poe's boyhood friend died of cholera. In September 1831, a cholera epidemic visited Baltimore. From July 7, 1849, just before his death, there are several mentions of the disease. Poe writes to Mrs. Clem, his mother-in-law, I have been so ill, have had the cholera, or spasms quite as bad. He seems to have been laid low by the attack for at least 10 days. Between July 10 and July 12 of the same year, Poe seems to have been wandering around like a ghost. Of this time, there is an account given by George Lippard. Everybody was out of town. It was a wretched day, cholera bulletins upon every newspaper door, and a hot sun pouring down over half-deserted streets. In a letter to Edward Patterson in the same year, Poe writes, I have suffered worse than death, not so much from the cholera as from its long-continued consequences in debility and congestion of the brain. Besides these episodes of illness, Poe was obviously witness to many occasions of pulmonary hemorrhaging that was one of the visible symptoms of consumption from which his wife Virginia suffered and eventually died. 
There is an account left by a neighbor of the poor family in Philadelphia of Virginia's illness and the house where the Poes lived that indicate two of the themes that regularly crop up in Poe's writings, space and disease. Mrs. Poe, while singing one evening, ruptured a blood vessel, and after that she suffered a hundred deaths. She could not bear the slightest exposure and needed the utmost care. And all those conveniences as to apartment and surroundings which are so important in the care of an invalid were almost a matter of life and death to her. And yet, the room where she lay for weeks, hardly able to breathe except as she was fanned, was a little place with the ceiling so low over the narrow bed that her head almost touched it. Poe's inability to afford spacious accommodation is evident in this house where Virginia died and where he was obviously vulnerable to the infection so close to him in the form of bleeding and coughing and difficulty of breath. And the newspaper and periodical offices in which he regularly worked were mostly in cramped upper floors these claustrophobic spaces were in the crucial port cities of New York, Philadelphia, and Baltimore, all visited by the epidemics of cholera and yellow fever. Against this backdrop, the tales now look particularly evocative. In some of the tales of the Folio Club published in the Philadelphia Saturday Courier and the Baltimore Saturday Visitor in 1833, a period when the cholera epidemic raged through these cities, there are references to symptoms of unnamed diseases Lines like, she had seen that the finger of death was upon her bosom, from Eleonora, or, in time the crimson spots settled steadily upon the cheek and the blue veins upon the pale forehead became prominent, from Morella, or even the description of Berenice in the tale of that name as emaciated, her eyes lifeless and lusterless, her stare glassy and her lips thin and shrunken, occur often in tales from this collection, as well as in those of later years. Similar descriptions are to be found in several other tales, especially involving young, sick, or dying women. But it is also a related interest in closed spaces, dungeons underground, as in the cask of Amontillado and the pit and the pendulum, prisons in the black cat, lunatic asylums, as in the system of Dr. Tarr and Professor Feather, isolated castles, the fall of the house of Usher, country houses far away from the city, the Sphinx, and sundry rooms and houses that point to a diffusion of the quarantine image in representing organization, visibility, and restraint. Quarantines and prisons were two equally important carceral and surveillance spaces. However, the quarantine with its associations with outsiders, racial others, immigrants who might be carrying disease, was a richly suggestive node that was mined by Pope, and the recurrence of dungeons, etc., as locations for complex characters and elaborate situations are surely its reflection. Disease, therefore, is often only a starting point or a site, sometimes referred to through symptoms and sometimes simply presented as the fear of proximity, the equal but opposing obsessions with closed rooms and open spaces that can be sourced to the same fear of infection, and very often in the preference for certain kinds of images of physical distress like loss of breath or physical dissolution in tales called the loss of breath and the facts in the case of Monsieur Valdemar. The ur narrative of the lover mourning a dead or dying beloved is deeply caught up in this disease thematic, as are the many episodes of premature burial, moods of melancholy, surroundings marked by gloom and despondency, characters who are on the verge of losing themselves, and distaste or discomfort with crowding, evident in the crowded city of the man of the crowd, but by implication also entails where individuals prefer to isolate themselves. In other words, it is not just in the actual references to disease, 
but in the representation of certain effects that constitute important aspects of the ambience of Poe's tales and contribute to his interest in order and spatial demarcation produced as a consequence of his absorption in the material culture of the common 19th century diseases. Against all of this now, let us look at some of these tales chronologically in order to see how from direct reference to disease to disease effects there is a change that marks Poe's growing interest in the spatial implications of the quarantine state. It's interesting that both the shadow and king pest that I discuss here are from the Folio Club collection. The shadow, 1835, written during an outbreak of cholera, is set in a time of plague in the Nile Delta in 542 AD. It refers to a year of terror and of feelings more intense than terror and when far and wide over sea and land the black wings of the pestilence were spread abroad. Here for the first time in his tales is the scene that will recur again and again. Within the walls of a noble hall we sat at night, a company of seven, and to our chamber there was no entrance save by a lofty door of brass. This door and black draperies shut out the peopleless streets, but the atmosphere within was heavy with a sense of suffocation and anxiety, and the seven drank and laughed hysterically, while near them was the dead body of a young man who had died of the plague. The shadow itself is a composite of all their departed friends, presumably also dead from the plague. The seven have taken refuge, shut out the streets and the pestilence, but as the epidemic experience would have revealed, the pestilence makes its way in. The irony of this, the reactions of people to an almost certain death, and the safety they have sought away from common exposure are reconstructions of behavior in such conditions. All these tales are also explorations in creating the kind of unity of effect that he would go on to write of later. King Pest, also from 1835, is set against plague in London and shows a depopulated city and awe, terror, and superstition stalking abroad. It captures the atmosphere of gloom that shrouds entire cities under an epidemic as well as the steps taken by an administration to contain it. Possible sources for this tale are an article in Fraser's magazine of May 1832, The Great Plague of the 14th Century, as well as N.P. Willis's account of a masked ball in Paris to which a man came in the character of cholera, published in the New York Mirror of June 1832, and well known as a source for the Mask of the Red Death. Speaking of districts under ban and barriers cordoning off areas this tale refers to the miasmic theory in its descriptions of those horrible regions in the vicinity of the Thames, where amid the dark, narrow, and filthy lanes and alleys, the demon of disease was supposed to have had his native of two drunken sailors who ignore the horrors around them. We have a picture of the environment of disease. The air was cold and misty. The paving stones loosened from their beds lay in wild disorder amid the tall, rank grass. Fallen houses choked up the streets. The most fetid and poisonous smells everywhere prevailed, and lying in the bypaths and alleys or rotting in the windowless habitations, the carcass of many a nocturnal plunderer arrested by the hand of the plague. The Mask of the Red Death from 1842, a sophisticated and tightly organized narrative, repeats the situation of the shadow and is like the earlier tale, an explication of the prevailing contagion theory. The symptoms of the yellow fever, pain, dizziness, profuse bleeding at the pores followed by dissolution, and the scarlet stains upon the body and face of victims all add to the horror and desperation experienced by the 1,000 friends of Prince Prospero who initially felt they had been magically transported away from the disease 
and were safe within the castellated abbey with its lofty walls and iron gates. The physical dissolution described at the start is replicated in a mental and spiritual disintegration as the tale speeds up and moves to its end. The Red Death is of course within, having come in like a thief in the night, bringing infection and death with it. The Sphinx from 1846 shows the effect of hallucination from the fear and anxiety caused by an epidemic from which the narrator has fled but is unable to shut out as news of the pestilence reaches him even in the distant place he has escaped to. A tiny insect, about the sixteenth of an inch on a glass pane, appears as a monster on a distant hill because of the nervousness and anxiety induced by the epidemic. The psychology of characters, a picture of society during an epidemic, the impact of disease on administrations and the evolution of techniques of surveillance are all embodied in the quarantine and containment images in the many different enclosed spaces in the tales. Having repeatedly used these effects, the value of what he called circumscription of space became progressively clearer for narrative organization, and it also came to be the principle of the new genre, the detective tale. In the closed-door mysteries of the murders in the Rue Morgue and the Purloined Letter, crime is committed in a closed room, and the challenge for the detective is to establish how it was done with identification of the murderer or restoration of the lost article being secondary questions. There are no overt references to disease in these tales written between 1841 and 1844, but the closed room or confined space has here an interest all its own. Enhancing the effect of such confinement is the detective, Monsieur Dupin, who remains in his apartment, mulls over the information available, and thinks his way through to a solution of the crime. In the third tale, The Mystery of Mary Roger, while Mary's disappearance might have compelled Dupin to go on an actual search, he has his friend procure all the newspapers that carried accounts of the crime and sort through them systematically to solve the mystery. The method of detection, elaborately explained in the murders in the Rue Morgue, is wholly dependent on analysis and calculation, with references to mathematics and chess and a fondness for enigmas and resolutions, all involving what Hercule Poirot calls the little grey cells and is undertaken in the secluded old mansion where Dupé lives with his narrative, narrator friend. The attractions of isolation and enclosure continue but uh, are now integrated in this, into the spirit of this new genre shown as an imperative for the exercise of the detective's exceptional mental talents. Much can be done with these associations and their many details. The persistence and indeed attractiveness of versions of the closed room crime in examples of the genre, and especially during the golden age of crime fiction that began around the 1918 influenza pandemic, is worth some fresh attention. However, I would like to return at the end to the idea that Poe's representation of containment through quarantine images was an enabling fictional way of dealing with the social and economic divides that characterized his time. Poe's class awareness and aspirations have often been discussed in Poe Reception through his presentation of aristocratic characters and residences, but quarantine representations were a disguise for the way he perceived the literary marketplace as clearly divided between the privileged like Emerson and the marginal like himself. The dynamics of competing to belong, to be within and not always abroad, to use his own term, found an enabling site of critique in the instrument of the quarantine. Thank you.